Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what. No matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. Hey guys, as I hope you know, that music is my sweet friend, Shaylee Simeone. Shaylee has generously let me use her music for the show. If you haven't checked her out, you've got to do it. She is a songwriter and a worship leader, and you will love her music, so go check her out. Today, I am over the moon excited to have my friend, Ashley Traficant on the phone. Ash, how are you doing? I'm good, Han. How are you? I am so good. I'm even that much better that I'm talking to you. I have known Ashley, oh my gosh, a long, long time. I often talk about that really before I had children, I didn't like kids and I rarely babysat. I had a very short list of families that I would babysit for because in general, I didn't like people's kids. But the Trafficants were one of my like top two, I would always say yes if I could, families that I would babysit for. So I have known Ashley and her little brother, Jeremy. I don't know. How old do you think you were when I started babysitting? Gosh, Hannah, I bet, I almost want to say like five or six. Yeah. I mean, little. Like, little. I, I, I mean, it's just, I think that's so fun. You've so got stories. <laughs> I have. I, <laughs> we've got stories. Of course, we've discussed, I don't remember so many things. And Ashley has like a rain man brain when it comes to remembering everything. And so she will like tell me some story that I'm like, I have zero remembrance of that, but I'm glad you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I've known Ash forever and our relationship really started evolving from babysitter to kind of more like, you know, big sister, little sister, as you got older. Mm -hmm. And then really today, it's so funny. I mean, you're, well, not 10 years, my junior, but closer to 10 (laughs) than five. (laughs) But not not quite, no. (laughs) Um, And now, I mean, there's so often where I feel like the tables have totally flipped and where it used to be Ashley was like learning from me and I was getting to like impart some wisdom to her. Now I'm just like, okay, Ash, I don't know. Tell me everything. You're you're like so much more mature than I am (laughs) throughout these years. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but thank you, Hannah. I think it's I'm very grateful for our friendship and just the history and how God uses us in both of our lives. Me too, sister. So Ashley now lives in the DC area and she is a legislative strategist for Concerned Women for America. And you'll learn a lot more about Ashley as we start unpacking her story. But Ash, let's start when you were like 14, 15 years old. Tell us who was that Ashley trafficking? What were you into? What were you doing? What were like your hopes and dreams for life okay freshman year Ashley Trafficant was playing basketball all in on everything honor student taking all the classes I don't know if it was legally blonde or whatever but I was like gonna go to Harvard you know the whole the whole thing I always have been that kid who's like had a plan known where I wanted to go and just wanted to be involved in everything theater sports all the things yep And tell me a little bit about what was going on with your dad. So, as you know, Han, at that time, my dad actually was on the list or getting his second liver transplant. 
it happened my sophomore year of high school, but my freshman year is when we knew he needed a second one, Mm -hmm. which was hard. It was a lot. There's a lot of adjustments going on. You know, high school is a interesting chapter, but at home, I knew that my dad was in the process of needing this major surgery in order for him to live. Yep. So, I mean, most of your childhood, your dad was sick with a disease called PCO. Is that right? PSC, primary sclerosing cholangitis. Okay. And he has now had two liver transplants. And and for folks who don't know, I mean, a, a liver transplant is like, this is not a kidney or, I mean, this is a major, major, major surgery. And you, I mean, for the most part as a child, like your dad was really sick, sometimes, I mean, dying, sometimes probably yeah. I don't know what you were aware of as a child, but I know your mom's thinking like, is my husband going to even survive the night? Is he going to be around Mm -hmm. to see my children grow up? Um, And so this was not, you know, you you did not have just a normal, I've got a healthy dad who is doing, you know, all the normal things. My life is easy and perfect right now. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. I mean, I can remember doing bike rides when we were little before his first transplant, but it's like, I didn't see him as sick, but most of my childhood was around him fighting for his life. Um, and while I didn't know everything as a child, kids aren't dumb. Mm-hmm. They pick up on things. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you're, you're aware of the stakes. My brother and I've actually been joked now that we'll be in conversations with friends talking about their favorite TV shows. And a lot of them, we don't remember just not because we didn't enjoy them, but because that wasn't the most significant part of our childhood. Yeah. Yep. So going back to freshman year, Ashley, you've got lots of incredible dreams and things that are going on. Your dad has a successful second liver transplant. God brings him back to life. He is, you know, slowly coming back to health, slowly recovering from that. And then you start getting sick. Yeah. Kind of interesting timing, huh? Yeah. I think I've heard your dad say, the week that he was getting off the medication for PSC, you were getting on it. Yeah, it was something like uh, the, I think it was the day or the week he went back to work. Um, My mom was taking me to an appointment that began a nine month long process that ended up with me getting diagnosed with PSC as well. So, I mean, I think it's easy to think, oh, wow, this is like a genetic thing that that's, you know, awful that that hit the father and daughter, but PSC isn't genetic, right? not supposed to be um it's not funny but it's funny doctors kind of keep looking at us and they'll say look we don't really know much more about this disease than when we discovered it in the 70s but they don't believe it is genetic the mayo clinic which is not where we were treated but the mayo clinic has a database of about a thousand patients with this disease um and two of them are parent child so it's normally not genetic and to actually kind of make it a little bit crazier normally if you get it you're an older man uh, which I am not (laughs) (laughs) that is so true so talk to me about kind of paint the picture you're you know on one day you're a healthy thriving normal teenage high school girl and Mm -hmm. then your body starts to deteriorate yeah I can uh there was a huge difference between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And looking back, I could see glimpses uh, during my freshman year, like basketball season. I remember having a hard time locking in when we were in a zone defense. It was like my brain couldn't quite click in. Hmm. And you fast forward a bit and I just start being extremely tired, 
like beyond normal, like no amount of sleep is fixing this. I'm dragging. I just like, I can't keep up. My brain is kind of lagging. Like I'm dropping people's names that I normally would remember. And um, just like weird symptoms, like my heart rate would go up randomly without me being that active. And again, like I played sports. It's not like I was out of shape. And so my mom kept taking me to specialist after specialist after specialist. And as a 14, 15 year old girl, a lot of them, you know, perhaps well intended were dismissive. They thought I was kind of just making this up, hmm. which if I had thought of it, I would have told them I'm not this creative. <laughs> <laughs> like I could have come up with this if I tried. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we kept seeing doctor after doctor and I missed a lot of school. I mean, my, I think I missed like 20 some days of the last quarter of my sophomore year. I had to um, quit basketball halfway through the season. Um, and I was so grateful for my mom's persistence. And like, again, in context, she's never had a break from caregiving. Like my dad kind of gets stable and back at work and I crash. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this nine or so months of marathon appointments, I get diagnosed with um, Lyme disease, but even more significantly, primary sclerosing cholangitis the week after I turned 16. So what's normally a very significant mile marker in a teenage girl's life or anyone's life, right? Your 16th birthday for me was a very different kind of mile marker. It looked tremendously different than what I had ever expected it to look like. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had just seen your dad survive PCS, you know, two liver transplants. You knew what this meant. <laughs> yeah. What were you thinking? Oh, I can still see the room I was sitting in. The doctor, I can still see him. And just, I just remember, it's like your body goes numb. My heart sank because I knew exactly what this meant. There's no cure for PSC. There are um, medications that can maybe slow it, but I like just saw my dad have a second transplant and fight for his life for years. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there with my whole life ahead of me, all of a sudden, that gets put into a very short, short focus. Mm. It's devastating. I just remember it's like, you just like, you're trying to be strong because you're in front of the doctor and you know, your parents are there and just, but it's just, it was so hard. And I was so grateful for my parents that as hard as that was, that we have had a good relationship and could walk that together. Um, It was really hard, Mm. man. And I was grateful that the doctor I was seeing then was the one who told me. He was very compassionate. Mm. Um, he had taken care of my dad. So he had a good relationship with us. And, you know, there's something really sweet when doctors and, and medical personnel have that relationship because mm-hmm. you can tell they, they grieve it a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who wants to deliver that kind of news to a 16-year-old? I know, right? So you at that age were already – way above the norm for a like 15, 16 year old in their walk with the Lord. I mean, I, I know you, I knew you at that time, you were like beyond what was normal in your spiritual maturity and growth, but this had to still rock you. I mean, spiritually, where were you? What did your conversations look like with God? What were you battling with? I really had to lean into the Lord and my dad was sick. My mom was going back and forth from the hospitals an hour and a half away 
spending her day there to make sure he would live. There's only so much of this I could understand at the time I was like in the first transplant, I was like in fourth grade. Um, and so I remember just literally, I would lay in bed and just talk to God. Like I had spent time in his word, which he had uh, given me that desire since like third grade. So I've been reading the word for a long time. It doesn't make it simpler, but it brings such peace and comfort. And so there was just, just a lot of just like, honestly, talking to God, laying in bed mm-hmm. and just processing it. And I don't remember maybe as much from that first diagnosis. Cause kind of at first, there's like so much I had to deal with, even with the Lyme disease. It's like, you're glad to have an answer though. The PSD part mm-hmm. is like very heavy, kind of like, okay, we'll deal with this other stuff first and then we'll get to that. And so there was mixture with part of it is like, at least I know why I feel so sick and there's possible steps. Yeah. So that was answered prayer, but it's just, there's a lot of times over the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years where it's just been, my prayer has been, Jesus help me. Mm. Like God just help me. Mm. And sometimes I think those three words can just be some of the most profound prayers I've prayed because they're just, it's all you've got. So, I mean, you're getting sicker and sicker. Explain to those that are listening. I mean, you know, as PSC progresses, as medication can only do so much. I mean, at some point, it's a conversation of you need a liver transplant. So explain that whole process. So there's certain symptoms that hit as your liver starts to fail, which is when they start to consider you for transplant. And because of my dad, I knew what some of them were. Mm. And so I can remember when I first noticed my ankle swelling, like really swelling, like hard to put on shoes. And I just remember thinking like, dang it, like, this isn't good. And so I had regular appointments. I track my labs. Um, Your blood work kind of shows your liver function as well. And I hit some numbers that were just way off the charts. And I can remember seeing myself sitting down uh, with this doctor, the same doctor who diagnosed me and him saying like, we need to start looking at a liver transplant. He's like, it's a little early, but PSC. So that's heavy, right? Yeah. Cause you're just like, this is a major life-threatening surgery, yep. but they don't sign you up for it unless they know you're going to die without it. Right. And so you get kind of thrown into this catch 22 where you're like, well, I don't really like want to get cut open and have an organ removed and another one put in. But I, this also means that I'm at a very critical point or yeah. I'm approaching a critical point. Yeah. Um, and even though you're kind of expecting that, cause you know, you get very familiar with your body and different symptoms that you know, you're failing. It just, it's like, you just feel like kind of the blood just draining from you. Mm. You know, it's just another magnitude of what's going to happen. Like I've seen my dad do this mm-hmm. twice. Like I don't want to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a lengthy process and it's a tricky process for anyone, but it's especially difficult with PSC because there's a model that they use to make the line for an organ and PSC doesn't actually fit that model very well. So I could be thicker than someone in front of me in line. Um, and so there's all these different aspects of it. And at this point, they were pretty sure I had PSC, but there was still some lingering doubt because I presented a little differently. 
and because I didn't fit the profile of an older man who normally gets this. Um, as the, like, Might look you know, a little different when it's a young little, woman. Yeah. Uh-huh. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, you normally aren't the people who get this, and, but that's what I had. So you, you meet with a bunch of different people. So you meet with like a financial advisor, a nutritionist, liver doctor, transplant surgeon, and actually a psychologist because they want to make sure that you understand what it is you're stepping into. Mm-hmm. So much of any battle, health, suffering trial, there's a mental component and they recognize that. And so they, they kind of go in and they lay out like, this is what it's going to be like. These are the things that are going to be hard to make sure you're mentally strong enough to actually go through the procedure and recovery. Mm-hmm. Zoom out a little bit. I mean, where yes. are you in stage of life? You're in college at this point, correct? Yes. So what had, you know, from your initial diagnosis to 16, um, I know that your life, what didn't look like the normal high school student who finishes, you know, like everything's supposed to go and then graduates and then immediately goes off to college. (laughs) Paint that a little bit for those that are listening. Yeah. So for me, what school used to was always something that was kind of up my alley and pretty simple. And it became very hard. I, uh, because of my health, ended up finishing high school from home which again, this is my senior year, like that's your kind of coasting out celebratory year. And I yeah. was fighting from home, which was, which was really hard. I made it to college. I fought really hard. I did extra difficult treatment to get there only then to leave partway through my freshman year. So yeah. I've been in and out of college this whole time. And so I actually also in college had sepsis. I got an infection that went into my bloodstream two days into classes my senior year. And um, one of my best friends actually took me to the hospital. Um, my mom raced down from Northern Virginia to, to get to me. And that process, while thankfully my life was preserved, it also expedited the failure of my liver uh-huh. just because of the damage done by the infection. Sure. And that's where we started to really look at needing the transplant. Um, so I had been in college like three, four years, but I had had gaps in that. Like nothing has been consistent. Nothing's been normal, which is really hard. Yeah. You know, for so long, the goal was just to do normal things, to go to college for like one year yeah. and then maybe to get to two years. <laughs> and it was just felt forever out of reach. I felt like every time I'd start to get my feet under me, the rug would just kind of get yanked out again. Mm-hmm. And what was hard with that was it starts to become hard to hope because hope means there's a possibility of disappointment mm. if you set higher expectations. And that was something that I really wrestled with. And so for me, hope kind of became my anthem with my first transplant, but I'm not sure if people fully knew the background of it. It wasn't because I was good at it. It's because I struggled with it. Yeah. And do I trust God enough to trust that, not just my hope, but even if I'm disappointed that he can meet me there? Mm-hmm. I literally read something the other day. It was an R.C. Spurgeon. He says, we talk about hope and believing. It's not just like hoping in a thing, right? It's, it's believing what God says to trust God, mm-hmm. to put our confidence in him. Our hope is in the Lord. Really, it's trusting God for our redemption. And, mm-hmm. you know, our prayer, of course, that God was going to redeem your story by you know, bringing a liver that was a good match and you're going to survive the surgery and move on with your life. Um, but mm-hmm. trusting like God knows what true redemption looks like for Ashley in this, in this time and trusting him for his redemption. Um, yeah. It's a lot different than hoping for 
a thing or the thing we want. Not I, I'm, I'm moving this away from your story, just to all of us in general. Of, no, there's just lots true. of things that we all hope for, but our hope, you know, as a believer, our hope gets to be in the Lord. And, you know, we, you know scripture says there's never disappointment when our hope is in the Lord. <laughs> but yeah, we're, disapp- man, we're disappointed all the time. I'm disappointed all the time because things don't all work the time. out the way that I want them to or think they should or so yeah I mean was there an element for you of like okay Lord I know who I am in Christ I know you have stuff for me to do let's get on with it like what is this I'm not I'm not (laughs) it's hard for me to finish high school now I'm like dropping in and out of college shouldn't I be healthy and going on to do the great things that you have planned for me yeah yeah actually like two things in one of my interims being out of college before my first transplant, but leading up to it. Like, it's pretty evident this is where we're going. I had terrible insomnia. So it's like, I can't stay awake during the day. I'm exhausted all the time. And even though I'm exhausted, I can't stay, I can't go to bed, which is maddening. And I am so sorry for anyone who has that. It's terrible. Um, And I just remember I would lay on the couch in the basement because I'd just go watch TV or whatever. Um, and there are just times I'd just be like staring at the ceiling, talking to God. And it was the first time in my life I felt like I couldn't really feel him, like feel his presence. Mm. Ever since I was little, I felt like I could even like envision myself like crawling up on his lap and just kind of like settling in and just being like, hey, God, like, I don't get this. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. Can you help my dad? All that stuff. And this was the first time where it was like, ah, like, I don't feel you. It was so frustrating because it was like, I just needed that. Like, I just, it just was like, almost like picturing like a two-way mirror. And it's like, you like cognizantly know God's right there, but like, I can't see him and I can't feel him. And I just kept laying awake in the middle of the night, having Romans three through five, just running through my head where it's like that quote you were talking about. Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character hope. Like, okay, I get that that makes sense. And then he goes on to say, and hope does not put us to shame or some versions say does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I remember thinking like, hope does not disappoint us. Like it disappoints uh, you all the time. (laughs) All the freaking time. Like I was hopeful. I'm disappointed. I hoped again. And I was disappointed again. Like I fought really hard to get to college. I made it. And like, I'm back home. Like I didn't even finish the semester and I'm like sick. I'm exhausted. I can't sleep. I can't do anything. I'm basically stuck at home on a couch and I fought so hard and I trusted God so deeply and hoped just beyond what I thought possible only just see it all give way again. And I was so disappointed And so then I'm like playing back in my mind, but Roman says that God does not disappoint us, but I am disappointed. And so it's like, do I believe what I feel or what I know of God and who God says he is? And that's a choice that we all have to make. And I just like, I had a professor at Liberty who said, what if you never felt the love of God again? What if you could never tangibly feel him, would you still serve him? And here I was a few weeks later living that. And God really showed me if like hope doesn't disappoint us, he said that and I'm disappointed Then somehow I'm looking at hope wrong. Mm-hmm. Something I'm not, like, I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. And so 
looking at Romans and just in context of like, what is the hope that God gives us through the Holy Spirit? And that's, it's the promise and the seal of salvation. Yeah. And so it's, it's hope that's beyond my circumstances, beyond the immediate. Yeah. And I think like we all have hard hand, like yeah. it looks different for different people, yeah. but we all have hard and that's valid. Your hard is your hard. Yeah. And we're all faced with these questions of like, do I trust what I feel, what I'm stuck in, what's in front of me, or who I know God is because he is unchanging and that his word is true and it is unfailing. And that was what I was confronted with. It's like, okay, I was hopeful, God. I am so disappointed, but I know you and I know your word is true. So where am I wrong? And I just asked him to help me reconcile this. And he did. And it is that, that the hope that doesn't disappoint us is the hope of salvation, that God uses all things for our good and his glory, and that it's worth it. And it's only found by grace through faith. And sometimes that means that like we get disappointed in the circumstances. Like I was home from school. That was disappointing. But that there was a greater hope that carried me and still does through first transplant, second transplant, that no matter what, I know that God has paid the price for me and that I'm right before him and there's grace. Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to talk about high school graduation gifts. Tis the season when students are graduating high school and headed off to college. And I have the perfect gift for you to give a college bound girl. It's my book, The College Girls Survival Guide, which I wrote for my 10 plus years of working on college campuses and mentoring college students. It's biblically based, but a super practical approach on how to handle the ups and downs of college life, covering the top 52 biggest concerns of college women today. Things ranging from roommate conflicts to dating relationships, how to stand firm in your faith, to finding career direction. You can buy it from me at hannahseymour.com and I will personalize it by writing a note to your college-bound girl and sign it for free if you just use the code, no matter what, all one word, at hannahseymour.com. But get it now because I have a limited amount of copies. Again, that's code, no matter what, at hannahseymour.com. What do you say to that person listening right now? Because I, I know their circumstance may be completely different than yours, but when they heard you say, yeah, I didn't feel God, they thought that is exactly where I am. I do not feel God. I don't see him. I'm not, I mean, you said, you know, he's there. Maybe they're not even sure he's there. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that person? You're not alone. Yeah. You know, I found a lot of comfort in looking at people like Abraham, people like Job, David, um, people throughout scripture, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, where like God commends them for their faith. And there are times where they just were like, I don't feel God. I don't know where you are. Mm -hmm. Abraham didn't hear from God for a long time. David, I love David. I (laughs) used to read the Psalms and be like, this guy is a whiner. And now I read it. I'm like, this guy gets me. He's real. He's so real. And So first off, you're not the first person to experience it. You're not the last person. I'm sorry you're going through this. It's so lonely. It's so hard. But just to keep trusting what you know, one of the verses that I found a lot of comfort in is Psalm 42. And so they think it's written by David. And it goes back and forth, which I find very relatable. 
between all the things he used to do. I used to lead the worship and lead the procession and worship of God. And he like reflects back on this. And then he goes like, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. Why so disturbed within me? And he goes back and forth and back and forth, which I think is what we do, right? Like, I know this about God, but this is what I'm feeling. And this is what I was doing. And like, this is where I'm at. Like, I feel like I'm an entirely different person in an entirely different place. And my favorite part about this refrain going back and forth is that you see the author making a decision. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him. And I think there's just times where we got to put a stake in the ground and it's hard, but just this, that's faith. It's stepping out where you don't know and where you can't see and where you can't feel and to trust who God is and what he's done. Mm -hmm. And that because of his faithfulness, he's still there. Mm. So diving back into your story, at some point you are top of the list. And I mean, there, there is not a cadaveric liver that is available that matches and, and matching liver is again, like a whole complicated scenario, right? So, yeah. but you're dying. Yes. So I'm not even at the top of the list, Han. I'm like, I'm dying and I, I can barely on it hmm. just because it's like, you just don't fit the things that bump your score up are the things that go last with this specific disease. And so I am dying. There's four stages of liver disease. I'm in stage four. I can't walk. I'm in a wheelchair. I can't get a shower by myself. I How old are you am, at this point? Oh gosh. I'm like 22, 23. Yeah. 22, 23 year old in a wheelchair. Can't wash your own hair. Can't do anything. Mm -mm. No, it's not, I, right. it's not normal. <laughs> no. My parents are waking me up every two hours to give me a protein shake to try and basically they're trying to keep me out of the hospital profoundly weak you know you're dying you kind of you can feel it it's like a sand timer where you kind of just see the slow trickle of sand and you feel like grain by grain the the life draining from you and so you know the lord had to bring me to a place where it's like i know i'm dying so either i get a liver and i live or i don't and i die and the other thing I had to deal with, though, is like, what if the Lord allows me to live? Like, what if I get a transplant, but it doesn't completely work and I'm not well? Mm. Like, is he still good then? And again, with kind of just the sense of what you know versus what you feel, it's like, I don't know how that would be okay, but I, I know that somehow God would redeem that and even make that worth it. And so it's like, you have to go to all these places while you're in these in-betweens. Yep. So, I mean, tell our audience, how did you get your first liver? <laughs> so, um, tremendous, tremendous gift. My brother, my younger brother, stepped up to be my donor. My mom had wanted to be my living donor and it wasn't quite a match. So just to kind of explain, your liver is the only organ in your body that regenerates. So they can separate the left lobe from the right lobe and transplant one of those lobes into the sick person after removing their dying liver and save someone's life. And that's what Jeremy did for me. It was such a tremendous, profound gift. You almost feel bad taking it because someone else is risking their life for just the possibility of saving yours. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what he did for me. And so humble about it. <laughs> he doesn't like when I brag on him, but he's my Superman. He is. We all love bragging on Jeremy, I think. I know, we do. <laughs> he probably hates it. <laughs> he does, but I think that's extra kudos to him. <laughs> so 
Jeremy donates a big old chunk of his liver. Um, yeah. I mean, y'all both fight for your life post-surgery. Both of you yes. have times yes. where, I mean, I know your parents are looking at you and Jeremy and each other and going, are we going to lose? Are we going to lose them? Yeah. Um, do you remember those seasons? I mean, do you remember nights or days where you thought, I may see Jesus in a couple hours? Yeah, the night before transplant. So there was a lot of concern. I was so weak. So I've been in a wheelchair for a couple months by now, maybe more. And I'm like skin and bone. And you're aware that there's concern of whether or not I have the strength to actually survive the surgery, regardless of whether or not the new liver works. And I didn't know this at the time, but they had stopped doing the donor transplants for livers for a bit because they had lost donors. And so for my parents, you know, it's a 10 and a half hour surgery and they could lose one or both of us. Yeah. And so, and I, and I remember for me, my biggest fear was waking up and Jeremy not because it's just, yeah. how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, I, I do remember though, there's like surface fear, but deep peace because I knew that whether or not I woke up, I was going to go home. So either I wake up in the ICU recovering, and that means that God's got more for me this side of eternity, and I fight like crazy to get well, get back home to Northern Virginia, and do whatever God's got for me. And if not, it means the race is done, and I'm home home. Mm. And it sounds crazy, but there's just such peace in that. And never before had Paul and Philippians talking about to live as Christ, die as gain, been so clear. It doesn't take away the sweetness of like, you wake up and you're just like, okay, God, let's go. Like, <laughs> let's see what's next. Like, you've got more for me here. Let's do it. But there's just such a profound sweetness to be on the cusp of eternity. You get to kind of stand at the edge of this precipice and look over and you know. I had no doubt where I would go. I had no doubt that it was for no merit of my own, but by grace. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful place to get to go to. So by God's grace, you and Jeremy get to the other side of recovery and you're both doing well and you are living large. You've got oh, yeah. Jeremy's liver, which you affectionately dubbed the jiver and you, the jiver. <laughs> you, you were living life. Oh Yeah. I, it's like, you kind of go into overdrive of like all the things I couldn't do for the last few years. I wanted to, I took a pottery class. I went back to college. I'm like doing clubs. I actually had finished my classes and I'm like, you know, working on Capitol Hill as an intern, which is like the dream since second grade because I was that kid. And yeah, I'm great. Like I'm good to go. I'm ramping up looking for my job in the next chapter. Yeah. Now, I mean, you've already alluded to a second transplant, so people know where this is going. But, um, and you knew your dad had to. You knew your dad had a living donor first and then a mm-hmm. cadaveric second. Mm-hmm. Did you, you know, you're getting better. Did you, in the back of your mind, think, is this going to go south again? Or were you just like on cloud nine, Jesus, we're doing it. We're finally living this life that, <laughs> that I thought oh, I was, I was supposed to nine. live. I was on cloud nine. I, I really felt like because I had Jeremy's liver, uh, the genetic similarity would kind of help things more. And that if I did have any issues, it'd be like further out. Yeah. But no, I'm like gun ho, like let's do this thing. Yeah. yeah. 
we're getting on with real life. I think we all find ourselves in a situation like this. And I, when I look at your story, I paint this all over it in the sense of it's like, oh, now we're finally living life. And, and I, you know, mm-hmm, I just hear the mm-hmm. Lord be like, no, 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 you've always been living <laughs> the life that I had for you. It didn't feel like you were, you know, you were not school. Mm-hmm. You were laying awake in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and you couldn't sleep and exhausted. Mm-hmm. Beyond. But that actually, I was sustaining you. That was the life I had chosen to give you that day. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, I think that's a hard pill to swallow for some of us, maybe for all yeah, of it's, us. <laughs> it's a hard pill to swallow for me. Yeah. Um, I think I call those the in-betweens. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, yeah, like we often look at those like, oh, life stopped, but it didn't yeah. stop. It paused the way it normally looks, hmm. but like that is where God's called us. And you actually made that comment to me, Han. I don't know if you remember this. We were sitting on the couches in our family room, the sleeping couches. Sleeping couch. Your the sleeping couch. Ashley's <laughs> parents have this couch as like, I don't know, the biggest, comfiest couch. And you literally cannot not fall asleep when you are. I've taken so many naps on that couch. Anyway. I should have gone there when I had insomnia. Yeah, they're glorious. Anyway, I remember you looking at me and like kind of saying something along the lines of like, maybe God called you to this. It was praised better. And I remember at first kind of- I'm going to slap you, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite, but I was like, "Ah, I don't know how I feel about that. Because I'm like, well, God doesn't cause suffering, but then he does allow it. Yeah, he does. And so- and that's Job, right? Yeah. And so um, I think those in-betweens are where God's called us for that time, that mm. that's our mission field, mm. even if it is from a couch. Mm-hmm. So you've got Jiver. It's Ashley 2.0. You're living your life. And then you start getting sick again. Yeah. And I didn't actually feel that bad. I felt mm. fine. I had regular appointments. So you have an appointment at one year, two year mark post-transplant in two years is normally where well you know this hand like they they meet with you and they're kind of like go be free you're well yeah mine didn't go like that yeah they had some questions I had some complications after transplant that I kind of thought maybe that's what this was and I had a little procedure to kind of check my liver out and the next day I'll never forget Mary my coordinator calling me And as soon as I answered my phone, I could tell by her voice it was bad. Mm. And just for context, Mary was my coordinator from before my first transplant and all the way through. So I've known her at this point for like three years. And her voice was a little shaky. And she starts to tell me that they think that the PSC, that they know the PSC is returned. And I am trying to control my voice and my voice is cracking. And my hand shaking as I try to take notes. And it's just my mom and I, like we were at a hotel. We didn't even bring the whole family because we didn't expect this. I'm holding back tears. This is devastating. And I can tell Mary is too. So we hang up the phone and my mom and I just hold each other and cry. And it's just, it's like getting the wind knocked out of you and so much more. It's like the rug again, it's like, I'm looking, I'm graduating from college. I'm looking towards the future, my job. And all of a sudden it feels like all of that's gone again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know where this is going, like yeah. transplant number two, cadaveric, all the proverbial stars are going to have to align once again for your life to be saved. Yeah. And you can't do a living donor transplant twice. Right. So now I have to go through the process of the list. And it's kind of fresh that uh, the pain of it, the physical pain of the transplant as well. Mm. And the hardest part 
was knowing that Jeremy was going to have to hear that because his biggest thing was that we did it. We beat the disease and I didn't want him to, he still saved my life. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. I wouldn't have lived a month when they did the transplant. They said I wouldn't have lived more than a month without it. Saved my life. But here I was needing it saved again. Yeah. And I mean, a whole I mean, we could literally do an episode just on the story, I feel like, of what God (laughs) did for you to get that second liver transplant. But I think for the purpose of time on this show, we'll just say it was a miracle. (laughs) God flew you to North Carolina to fly you to Minnesota type thing. Oh, my God. Out of the way, put you in the way. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Out of the way, put you in the way. It's amazing. So liver transplant number two. And you have, I mean, fought for your life again through recovery. Mm-hmm. Things still probably don't look every day like you wish they would. Is that true? Uh, it's pretty close, but there's still, like, I catch myself every time I get my blood work back, like, holding my breath. Oh, sure. But I'm pretty, we went skiing this last weekend, like, <laughs> and I made it. Didn't die there either. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm getting normal back. It'd been like 15 years. Um, so yeah, yeah like, I mean, you are adding back on. You are not 30 and you have had 15 very unnormal years. And that's not even counting just being a child growing up with a really sick dad and a yeah. mom who's full-time job. I mean, of course your mom is an incredible mom and of course yeah. was amazing with you and Jeremy when in the younger years, but she's still she was taking care of your dad. She was making sure that yeah. he survived. So yeah, there's probably very few days we could add them up in your life where like, it was just a normal average run of the mill day for Ashley Trafficant. Yeah. I think um, we celebrated those. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Mark them on the calendar. So you have had major, major, major ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You have clung to scripture. I, I think that's probably why I, there are times that I look at you and just think, man, she is I learned so much from you. I I want Mm -hmm. to be a woman of the word. I want to have scripture just effortlessly flow from my brain out my mouth. Um, I wanted to be able to recall it so quickly. And, you know, I think we all just have, it's the discipline of being Mm -hmm. in it, right? And trying Mm -hmm. to to commit it to memory. I think God gave you a gift at a young age to want to read and the ability to retain. Um, Mm -hmm. But there had to be times, Ashley, that you were like, okay, Lord, enough is enough. Or like, this is unfair. Or I mean, I mean, or, or, or did you not? Um, yeah, I did. I, the one that sticks out the most to me is being like, when my dad got re-diagnosed, mm. being like, God, like we've done this before. Like, yeah. can we get something new? <laughs> like we've done this one. Can we have not a that new I want trial? <laughs> like, can we just shake it up a bit? Um, which is kind of funny. Fast forward when I have two of the same. Yeah. <laughs> the answer was no. Um, still, still want you to do the same thing. Yeah, still the same thing, which like is kind of humbling. And I mean, it is definitely humbling because my first reaction when my dad was re-diagnosed was like, God, like we've learned this, like we got it. Okay, like I get it. Yeah. Like, thank you. Next. And what I learned was there's like a concept you might learn, but one, I am so fickle-hearted, and how easily I lose sight of the goodness of God and the grace and that he owes me nothing. Mm. If I got what I deserved, I would be dead physically, spiritually, and not just from a liver disease, just from who I am, you know, and 
everything else is a gift. And, and what God also showed me was that learning to trust him in these things that I thought I had down, as he continued to deepen that trust and to show himself in new ways and new depths and new colors. Hmm. And that it was worth it. But yeah, it was really hard. Yeah. I was just like, I'm over this God. Like yeah. we've done this. Yeah. I just want normal. Yeah. And a lot of conversations, tearful conversations with God of like, Lord, just help me. Like, I don't, I don't know what to even ask for. Mm-hmm. Just help me. And begging him to help me to have hope, especially like when I got re-diagnosed, it's like, I just feel like every time I start to get to move forward, it just, I'm right back where I started. Mm-hmm. I know that God's word, your Bible, I mean, that was, that really truly was where you turned for comfort and encouragement during mm-hmm. the valleys. Um, were there other places, were there people that God put in your life that were super encouraging or, you know, outside of the Lord and his spirit and his word, were there certain people that were super encouraging or what did that look like for you? Oh yeah. I, it's the gift of suffering. I think it is one of the bright sides is just how well the church comes around you. Mm -hmm. I got to see like one, I'm so grateful for my family and just like their faithfulness and just the quality time that we would get friends I had friends I mean like high school when I was sick all the way through college and working who would come over and hang out with me on the couch instead of going out mm-hmm. just to feel spend time with me and intentionality and I'm a quality time and words person yeah. so like I had people sending me cards and I kept them like I still have all of them like I hoard cards and who would literally just come sit with me like I had a friend in college who came for a weekend and I was really sick and I had to go take a nap in my bed. And she just like came up and sat on my bed and read, read while I slept. Mm-hmm. I had other friends who would like in this last season, be like, call me and be like, hey, I'm going to be traveling with work mm-hmm. for like the next couple of weeks. Can I just come over and hang out with you? Mm-hmm. And would just be with me, mm-hmm. even when I'm like sick on the couch and sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> and just that presence was huge. Also, other things I would kind of do for encouragement when I had enough energy, like a tiny little dance party, <laughs> it's like that makes everything better. Totally. So just like little things like that, soaking up the small joys of life. I think a lot of times when we are the friend of someone that's going through something like this or just, you know, something really hard, uh, mm-hmm. we're kind of sheepish even about approaching them because we just don't know what to say. You know, we're afraid that we're yeah. going to say the wrong thing or, or, some stupid or or God forbid offensive, uh, what advice would you give to someone that's listening to this right now? And they're like, yeah, like, what do I even say to a friend that's, (laughs) that's going through something like this? I would say that your presence is more significant than your words. Mm -hmm. The people who would just show up, it was the most significant thing in your family. You guys have done that for us. And like every transplant, like we're high maintenance friends (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) that you guys just keep showing up. Um, let you know that your friends, not, they know that they're not walking through it alone. And um, I think there's a balance. Like Galatians, so I, you know this about me, don't like talking about my feelings. I have grown a lot in this. Yeah. Still not my favorite thing. But I think often like we want to help carry other people's burdens, but that means that we have to let them share ours. Mm. And so I think there's a level of honesty for both the person who is suffering and the friend. And now first, let me just say, know your relationship with the person. If you're an acquaintance, you're not like in their inner circle, maybe be a little bit more cognizant, but people, I had people who would just pursue me and just be like, Hey, can I just come over? And I sometimes was a flake. 
not intentionally, but like I was just so sick, who extended grace. I put on the vulnerability part of asking questions if you know you have that relationship with them. They're like beyond the like, oh, how are you? Like, oh, I'm fine. Because sometimes you feel like, I don't want to like bum everybody out all the time. But there's a level of honesty that's appropriate. Um, It doesn't burden your friend who's sick, but to acknowledge like, I had a friend who was like, this just doesn't feel fair. Like, I feel like you're good at what you do in your job and you're impacting things. You're serving the Lord in what you do. I just like, I don't get it. And it gave me the opportunity to be like, yeah, I know. I, I'm struggling with the same thing. Yeah. And there's fellowship in that. Mm. And so just different things. Like I had another friend who would uh, shoot me a text once a week to say she was praying for me with a picture from DC because I miss being in the city. And just these little touch points show people that they're not forgotten, that you're with them, that you're willing to go there with them in the hard and keep inviting them to stuff Mm. and maybe check with them. But for me, I'd rather be invited and not be able to go, but to feel remembered. Yeah. And that was huge. I had people who did that. Yeah, that's good. Because I think particularly when we're talking about illness, but, you know, I think there's lots of different seasons of hard where isolation Mm -hmm. really just is some of the heaviest part of it. And yes. So the lonely, I mean, my dad talks about all the time, the loneliness of suffering. Yeah. To feel remembered, to feel thought of. Mm. Okay. There's a thousand more questions that I want to ask you, but for the sake of time, man, the person that's going through a similar thing, mm. whether it's really hard health issues or for whatever reason, I mean, they, to use your words, they feel like life is on pause and they are physically mm. suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to them? And specifically, Ash, I would love to land on some scripture that I know you clung to and that, that you yeah. really give to them. I first off say, hang in there. And no matter what you're feeling, just to keep leaning into the Lord. I'm sorry. It's profoundly isolating. Let people help you and love you. Sometimes it's hard to know how to articulate that to people. But if they ask, just to let people help you. Yeah. Share, share the load with them a bit celebrate every little thing like literally everything like I pumped gas once I was like this is huge (laughs) and to set small goals not to have there's a balance you have to set realistic expectations or you're always setting yourself up for disappointment yeah but if you can like set a goal for something you know is doable like maybe switching from like pjs to sweatpants celebrate it I always, so one of the things that I did that really helped me um, is I'd write verses down on three by five cards that were like spiral bound and just flip through them to remind me of what I know, regardless of how I was feeling. Ooh, that's good. And that was always something that was just so huge for me. Second Corinthians four won the whole chapter, check it out. Um, but 16 through 18 just really resonated with me. It starts with, therefore, we do not lose heart like who doesn't need to hear that therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away which when you're suffering with illness is very physically real like I could physically feel myself wasting away so outwardly we are wasting away inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all an eternal glory therefore we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal and I love that Paul calls them light and momentary troubles 
because this is the dude who was like shipwrecked, left for dead, beaten, stoned, whipped, snake bitten, shipwrecked again. And compared to the reward in Christ, he considered them light and momentary. And like, that's what all this is. Like in the scope of eternity, it feels insurmountable. Like I know that there are those days where you feel like, I don't know how I get out of this day. But like, you have to know that you will. Yep. And like, Hannah, there's so many verses I could just like run through. Like Psalm 27, 13 and 14 was one I really clung to, but I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. And there's just so many times where it's like, I will remain confident. And there's other versions that say, I would lose hope had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I actually shared this verse uh, before my first transplant on our blog, maybe the second night too, the second transplant, because I wanted people to know whether or not I woke up, I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because of that hope that we talked about, the hope that doesn't fail, the hope of eternal salvation that God's enough. Like no matter what, God's enough. No matter what, there is hope that doesn't fail. Yep. And it's worth it. Yep. And one more verse, because sometimes I feel like we kind of hit this part. Like we talked about Psalms and all that, but Job, I feel Job. <laughs> and uh, two things, when you had talked about before, when you had told me maybe God called me to this, and I, I looked at Job a lot. And one thing that I was really struck by um, as I like to ask people, it's like, when do you think Job's blessings began? Like, Han, when do you think it began? Yeah. Uh, I mean, no, the right answer is like probably when he gave him life. <laughs> <laughs> right? So he gets all his things back, his kids, all these things at the end. Yeah. But I look back at the beginning when God goes to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And allows him to do these things. He's like, yeah, you can do that. But Job's not going to curse me. God had omniscient knowledge that comes to me like faith in Job's faith in God and that yet God gave Job the grace to live that out but that there was a calling there and like what a privilege just like it's not suffering I would ever wish like you read Job and I'm like I don't want that but the immense privilege of Job that God trusted Job with that and could God trust me with that same thing and for my second transplant Maybe this answer is somewhere I was at better. But Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And that resonated with me because that's kind of what it felt like. Like I am being slayed. (laughs) I'm so over this. Like I just feel like I can't get my feet under me, but it's like, yet will I hope in him. And not so much that God is attacking us that yet he allowed this I will still trust him because he's worth it no matter what yep no matter what man you have put together just a little document where you kind of compiled several of the verses that you really clung to and I know you call mm-hmm. it your like internal monologue so we're going to make that into a cute little pdf that uh anyone can go and download so in our show notes there'll be a link if you want to download a bunch of verses that Ashley put together that are running through her head. I know 24 seven when she is in a season of needing hope of needing to renew Mm -hmm. her mind and renew her hope and trust in the creator of the universe who yet thinks of you, thinks of me, thinks of us Mm -hmm. on an individual level and cares for you way more than we could ever imagine. It's crazy. 
Ashley, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being on No Matter What. Thanks for having me, Hannah. I'm so excited for you. Okay, y'all, I got to give a shout out to my friend Shaylee Simeon, who lets me use her music for this podcast. If you haven't checked out Shaylee yet, go look her up on Apple Music or Spotify, wherever you listen. I know you will love her music. Also, thank you so much to those of you who have rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcast. Shout out to Liz BD1. She said, I so enjoy this. I came here on Christy Wright's recommendation and I'm so glad I did. So refreshing and sweet. I ordered two books during it for my daughters. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you for listening. And thank you for buying my book for your girls. I pray that they love it and it helps them so much. Finally, just wanted to let you know our next episode will drop next Tuesday. And I know it will encourage you to keep your head up and focus on being who God created you to be no matter what.